This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Good Sunday afternoon, everybody, and we welcome you to the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. 1-800-919-3776. Also be at Twitter at Hardesty ESPN at ESPNNY 98 underscore 7 FM. Along with Tom and Joe, we're riding until 3 o'clock here on 98.7 ESPN. And already, I feel a lot of pressure. I feel a lot of pressure because it's the first day back from vacation. And as Tom and Joe has told me, and I'm watching right now, Aaron Boone looking so forward to wanting to focus on the show has got thrown out of the game. (laughs) With the Yankees and Cincinnati, controversial call. Clearly, umpire missed it. Aaron Boone, done for the day. Uh, my producers are constantly searching to see if Aaron Boone is the first manager to be thrown out of the game before noon. Hmm. Now, remember, day baseball was a thing way back in the day. Everybody played day baseball. So this is going to be interesting. This is going to be interesting. But no matter, we hope to have an interesting show for you for the rest of the day. Pat Ragazzo will join us at 12.45. We'll get his, uh, get his thoughts on what's going on with our local baseball teams, Mets and Yankees. Mets showing some signs of life uh, over the past week. Waited for me to leave town. Took a series from Tampa Bay. Did they come from behind a win against the Guardians? Grand Slam to tie it. Walk off to win it. And we'll have a day-night doubleheader with probably two of the oldest pitchers to start a game in a doubleheader. Clearly, there are two guys who have won at least three Cy Youngs. And there's also two guys who have started a doubleheader who's got over 3,000 strikeouts in their career. So this should be, on paper, a very good day for the Mets. So we'll hear what Pat Ragazzo has to say. At 1.30, we'll be joined by Ian Begley, and it'll be, for me, the finality of the next season. We'll get his thoughts on where they go from here, what they're going to do. Same thing with the Nets. And we'll peek into the current uh, conference finals, which you're listening to here on 98.7 ESPN. Lakers down 0-3. <laughs> and Miami just continues to win. They just continue to find ways to win. They are not, uh, on paper, they're not better than Boston. I mean, I don't know why we have to review this. It was clear it was out. I mean, what are you guys doing? Why are we reviewing this? Joe, am I right? Wasn't he out? I mean, he he, he grabbed the he. Ta- I mean, he was tagged before he hit the base. The umpiring crew in Cincinnati this morning clearly have not woken up yet and are you know joining you on an extended vacation. I guess. <laughs> I mean, come on. You're looking right at him. Even I saw it, and I'm in New York. It's not even close. Like Aaron Boone, the umpires are not mourning people today. Oh, Tom, it's unbelievable. It is. I mean, it's right. It's clear. Can we have two of the fastest ejections in Major League Baseball history? I don't know who the acting manager is right now, but I'm sure they're not too happy about this call. I mean, his hand is still in the air when he tagged it. And we got to go to a review for this? Ah, oh, this is not a good start. Not a good start. But I digress. So Ian Begley will join us at 1.30, get his thoughts on what we can expect from the Knicks and Nets. And then at 
Good friend of mine, Billy Taylor, former running back of the New York Giants and Oakland Raiders, will join me, and we'll get his thoughts And as we focus a little bit. And remember the late, great Jim Brown, who we lost this week, uh, what he meant to the game of football. And listen, we're not trying to, you know, apologize or hide some of the things he did off the field, which were not good. He was not, he was by no means not perfect. We're not saying he was, but he was pretty good on the baseball field. <laughs> pretty good on the baseball, on the football field, rather. So we'll talk with Billy Taylor a little later in the show here on 9870 ESPN. What could, what could the, what could you possibly be going out to talk to the umpire about? You can't possibly be challenging that. I mean, you can't stay in the dugout. It was clear. You probably saw it and knew he was out. Anyway, great vacation. Went away with uh, Jeanette for our anniversary, so we had a lot of fun. And when we touched down last night, uh, coming through the airport, there were a number of Yankee fans who were celebrating. Now, I already I had seen, because I kind of watched some of the game in the air, that the Yankees had won. Uh, Aaron Judge was outstanding, as he always is, against Cincinnati. But then I later found out that Aaron Hicks got DFA'd. <laughs> and having the pleasure of working with Gordon Damer during the week on ESPN New York Tonight, and various Yankee fans like Tom and Joe and Anthony Pusick and Ray Santiago and the list of the litany of Yankee fans that we have at the station. That might have been one of the, it, it might be going down as a national holiday going forward that Aaron Hicks is no longer with this club, finally. And it's not that the Yankees uh, replaced him with a guy who is, you know, a tremendous player. I mean, Greg Allen's okay. He, he showed some things with the Yankees when he was here before. But, I mean, anything, any person, any player was better than what Aaron Hicks showed. And it's really sad. And a lot of this is because of the contract that he signed, which is not his fault. I mean, nobody held a gun to the Yankees' head and said, sign him for this amount of money. Nobody did that. Nobody. But nevertheless... He didn't live up to his contract. If anything, and see, once again, it, 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 yes, the money, but it's also the years. All right? So he signed him to a seven-year contract. Now, in theory, in theory, Cashman's logic would work. Okay? I'm signing him to this amount of money now, but his his performance and his output is going to continue to grow and actually it will be a bargain down the line because really when you think about it he's not really making that much money for a major league outfielder what is it like average is about 10 11 million a year it's not a lot of money it's not but for the lack of production that you are getting from him it's a lot of money and it's wasted and you've got years on the contract so when we hear about money, we hear about all this money that's being spent and all the issues and all the stuff like that. Yeah, I get it. But seven years is a long time to be stuck under a contract. And so for them having to finally say, you know what? We got to get rid of him because he's just not producing. That was a tough call because now you're eating that contract. 
But ultimately, it's okay because he's not doing anything for you. And you might say that signing him in the first place to a long-term deal was foolhardy because he's really ending the way he started. I mean, there were times that you wondered if he knew somebody in the Yankee organization that kept him going. The first couple of years of his contract, he was not, the first couple of years he was a Yankee, he was not good. Then he caught his stride. He had a couple of really good years. And then you say, you know what? Let's sign him. Let's lock him up. We're good. Well, not so much. <laughs> not so much. So he is gone, and, and Yankee fans are ecstatic and happy. And now the question becomes, really, how will the Yankees fortify this team? Because, okay, they're winning some games now, and they're playing a little better now. But ultimately, this Yankee team is it's, it's a good team. It's not a Yankee team. It's not a great team. It's not a team that you could say right now we're going to be in the ALCS. It's just not. Now, one of the things that could help you out, you're starting to get healthier. You know, Bader's been back. He's given you some hits, done some nice things. You know, so you, you're still waiting to get Stanton back in the lineup. And you know it's going to take him a minute even once he gets back to get back on track. You got Severino on the mound today. You're hoping that he can stay healthy now and hopefully give you go out there every fourth or fifth day for the rest of the season. It would be nice. The rookies are playing okay. All right, so you have some positive things. But ultimately, when Yankee fans look in the mirror, here's what they know. This cannot be the finished product of this team because we're not going very far if it is. And once again, you guys know what Cashman's modus operandi is. He looks at the team, sees what he needs, all-star break, he makes changes. So that's what he's going to do. But the Aaron Hicks thing, he just couldn't wait any longer. He just could not wait any longer. 1-800-919-3776. When I return, we'll take more of your phone calls here on 98.7 Yes. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. It's the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. 1-800-919-3776. Chatting with you about things going on in the world of sports. Let's head to the phones. Uh, Artie's in Brooklyn. What's up, Artie? Hey, Larry. How's it going? Great, my friend. Yeah, it's been on? a while. I hope you enjoyed your vacation, by the way. And I did, uh, thank you. I, I, yeah, I just thinking, you know, with the Jets, I think they. If I had to look at their weaknesses, it would be the the not the offensive line, the starters. But as soon as Beckham gets hurt and somebody else, that's you know that's when the problems all happen on offense. And on defense, I was there when they gave up um, a forty yarder. And I was there, I was watching when, when Mosley went over the top on a fourth and one. And those things and offsides and all things are discipline stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, how many player coaches win the Super Bowl? And I always think back at those rivalries. I forgot the Redskins coach name, but I know the Redskins guy was like a, a player's coach, and it was always against Landry. And Landry would be sitting there like, you know, Never, like, smiling or anything like that. So, it's a question, long, long question, but is Sally the right guy for this team to take us to the Super Bowl? 
Well, already time will tell, my friend. Thanks for the phone call. Um, we'll find out. Because clearly, and, and I know what you're saying. You're saying that to you, Robert Sala is a player's coach. And I guess you could say he is. I guess you could say so. But for me, the ultimate situation here is very clear. And it's that his job is on the line. Okay, his job was on the line before they got Aaron Rodgers. Can you imagine the Jets not getting to at least the conference finals? At least, at least the conference championship. Can you imagine them not getting there because of that? Now, maybe there's injuries, maybe there's situations there that would derail it, but it's Super Bowl or bust for this Jet team. And if he can't get them there, he's not going to be here to try to fix it. The question's going to be, and, and we talk about, and you've heard me say this before, Artie, we talk about players, and we talk about how players improve and how players have to mature and how players have to take the next step. Well, doggone it, that, that coaches fall into that same line. And so it is, it is going to be interesting to see how Robert Sala has matured, how Robert Sala has adjusted to being a head coach in the National Football League. Because we can look back. Listen, there's no perfect head coach. Even Bill Belichick is not a perfect head coach. So head coaches make mistakes. They make them all the time. There's certain things and there's decisions that they wish they could have back. And Salah is no different. He's not. But he does need to step up in, the, in some major areas. And yeah, the, the disciplinary situations of the offsides and some of the self-inflicted wounds, you have to become a team that doesn't beat itself. And that's the one thing you can say about New England. Okay, whether they have Tom Brady at quarterback or whether they have Mac Jones at quarterback, there's very few occasions where they beat themselves. And we've said it on this, we've said it here a lot. Okay, coaching is huge in the National Football League. It's, it's, it's huge anyway, but especially in the National Football League. And he's got to step it up coaching-wise. There's no question about it. And not just him, his staff as well. They all have to step it up coaching-wise. Because this is a team that is expected, once again, this team is expected to be in the Super Bowl. That's what Aaron Rodgers brings to the table for them. That's how they felt their defense was really good, statistically top five, but neither still needs to make some adjustments. I mean, they're not a Super Bowl-type defense, but they're a really good young defense. And they need to get Quentin Williams signed and done. That needs to happen as well. And yeah, they got some issues in your right, already. They got issues on the offensive line, but at least they, well, I'll say at least they've addressed it, but they've addressed it on numerous occasions. <laughs> they continue to address it. So hopefully this time they have the depth behind it. So if they do incur injuries, they have the depth talent-wise to at least stay competitive and keep Aaron Rodgers upright. Because that's the ultimate, ultimate, situation for them he can't be hurt can't that changes everything everything spikes in st pete hey spike oh. okay gotta give you a proper greeting right thank you spike i appreciate that hey listen mischief you know i'm glad you had a good time and everything and that's most important 
But I want to make a comment while you were gone. We lost Jim Brown. Uh, I was fortunate enough, uh, saying the other day on the radio, function of my age, I was fortunate enough to have met Phil Russell, Jackie Robinson, and Jim Brown, and um, and Muhammad Ali. And and been able to have anywhere from three minutes to 20 minutes with uh, most of them. So... uh, I'm blessed. I'm really yes, blessed. Indeed. Jim Brown, to me, was the greatest running back I ever saw. Uh, you couldn't stop him. He was like a, a, a pile driver, a bulldozer. You know, Larry? Mm-hmm. He would, uh, he'd play dead. I don't know. You're too young. You probably never saw him live, right? Mm-mm. Never did, no. Yeah. yeah. He used to, you saw the film. What he used to do for the youngsters listening, or even the middle-aged people, basically, uh, function of my age, he used to get, you know, drag three guys by their rear ends. And in those days, I think the face mask only had one bar across, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. And and he dragged them, and then he walked back to the huddle like he had a load in his pants, you know. And, he, and he'd come back out, and then he'd pop and get 12 yards, 10 yards. And I don't think he ever missed a game in his career, and he was the greatest. And uh, his life was very complicated, very interesting. But yes. like I said, between I was very fortunate between Jackie Robinson and Bill Russell and Jim Brown and Muhammad Ali. I met some great civil rights activists, and uh, they taught me a lot about life and hopefully made me a better person for it. Mm-hmm. So now let me get to the Knicks wrap-up since you were away. Um, I got to tell you something, and I think I'm not alone here. Jimmy Butler is is uh, he he picks his game up to almost a Jordan-esque level. I said that to Gordon yesterday, and it's not quite, but where he is compared to where Jordan is during the regular season, the quantum leap is pretty even. He just knows how to win, and and watching Riley there, the shot of Riley and McAdoo, oh. and you know, I never knew uh, that the slick back gray hair could look so good on a rat. But uh, <laughs> all, kid, all kidding aside, we had a good season. We know what we need. Let's go out and get it. We can't be disappointed. You know, I was telling Gordon, and, and thanks for the time, and wonderful to have you back. I'm glad you had a great time. I got to tell you something. It was wonderful every night the bunch of us calling and the raw reaction. We only had about a half a dozen bad games this year. We were in every game. We had a lot of close defeats at the beginning of the season, but we know what we need. We, we, we stole Jalen Brunson. He's worth twice the price. And I got one last comment. Someone mm-hmm. said to me, well, he doesn't get a lot of assists. Well, how could you get a lot of assists if you hit, you throw the ball right to the guy in the perfect spot and he doesn't make the shot. You don't get an assist. Yeah. So we need the shop makers, and uh, I think that Miami and uh, Denver obviously has two superstars. Jamal Murray is yeah. a superstar to me, yes. Larry. He, he, he comes through in the fourth quarter. And Jokic last night, did you see it? Mm-mm-mm. No, did, did not see you it. You didn't see Jokic last night. Well, he, he did nothing for three quarters, and then, then, then he and Murray took the game and closed it out in the fourth quarter. And unfortunately, LeBron's on that Jason Kidd streak of – I think he's won for 35 and fourth quarter three-point shots. But mm-hmm. anyway, good to have you back. I'll be listening, and uh, you get you know, get back on, and I hope you're well-rested. I am, Spike. Thanks for the phone call. Um, where do I begin with the Knicks? Where do I begin? Bing bong! You know what? I'll, I'll give you some thoughts. We'll do that next on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. 
Thursday on a Sunday on 98.7 ESPN. A little rainy last night. Gorgeous day outside today. Thank you for sharing it with us. 1-800-919-3776. Also be at Twitter at Hardesty ESPN at ESPNNY 98 underscore 7 FM. Let me take these phone calls and I'll give you some quick thoughts on the Knicks. And we'll open it up a little bit later because we'll have uh, Ian Begley on it at one thirty. And they will really dive into it. So let me just take these calls first. 1-800-919-3776. Iris in Staten Island. What's up, I? Hey, Larry. How are you? What's been going on? I'm doing great. I'm doing great, my friend. What's, what's happening with you? Everything good. Everything good. Just uh, heard a little conversation. I just wanted to kind of chime in. Mm-hmm. First of all, um, yeah, with the Jimmy Brown thing, um, arguably, um, to me, he's the best football player ever. I mean, Spike said running back. But mm-hmm. to me, he was a, he was like a man against uh, boys, and he was just really an amazing player. And uh, like I said, you could argue Brady, Jerry Rice, Montana. But to me, J- Jimmy Brown's number one. And as for the Jets situation, like you were saying, uh, listen, Douglas has uh, done very well with what he put on paper around, you know, for solid to work with, especially with the addition of Rogers. But, you know, right now, you know, of course, everybody knows the offensive line has to stay healthy. Hopefully, Beckton, when I see it, I'll believe it. But all, all fingers point to Salah. I mean, mm-hmm. he and his staff, they have to pick up their game. I agree with you. I, I think he's, he's done very well in many areas. But I think game management and sometimes having his team prepared for some big-time moments like Jacksonville and Seattle last year didn't work. So, uh, you know, just as much as a team has to improve, it goes along with the coaching staff, too. There's no question about that, Ira. And I think the number one thing that has to improve with him is, uh, and thanks for the phone call, it was good hearing from you, is he's got to do a better job, a quicker job at adjusting to things that teams are doing to him. He's got to do a better job. Whether they're taking something away, you're getting gorged by something, you have to do a better job at trying to stop the bleeding there. I mean, you know, guys guys come up to, every time you turn around, there's somebody looking in some iPad or, or, you know, some kind of tablet. Microsoft, whoever the sponsor is in the NFL. All right, there's always somebody looking in there. Well, okay, what are you saying? And what are you doing to adjust to it? So for me, that's the number one thing. That's, that's, that's number two. Number one has got to be you have to have your team prepared to play every single time, every single minute. And if that means that you have to be more hands-on at, at jumping on your coordinators or, or jumping on, you know, the, the, uh, the various uh, assistant coaches, then that's what you have to do. Because your job is on the line here. If the defense doesn't play well, hey, guess what? You're a defensive guy. You're going to get blamed. So preparation, number one, that's the number one thing he's got to improve on. Number two really is adjustments. You can't take so long to to, to make adjustments on, on things. I mean, three drives and somebody's doing the same thing on you and they score, that could be the game. Could be the game. And listen, they the Jets have a very competitive start to the season in their schedule. The last month, let's be fair, is very easy with an Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. It's an easy schedule. The last month is an easy schedule. Leading up to it, very hard. That's why you see a lot of them in prime time early. Because late, not that big of a deal. 
So Ira, you're right. He's he's got to improve. He does. Preparation and and decision making. We're going to call a pass play. No, 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 no. We're running the football here. Once again, you're going to be blamed if this team does not reach the Super Bowl. It's going to be on you. It's a lot of pressure. I think he can handle it. Jonathan's in L.A. What's up, Jonathan? Larry, good morning, man. I just, dang, waking up to this tough loss in the Vegas. Just hoping they can make some history, brother. So <laughs> I we'll hear see, you. Man. I'm, like, I'm like the West Coast. Ty D. Butler, man. Huge Yankee fan, huge Lakers fan. Okay. So, okay. Well, we'll see what's up, man. Uh, hey, Larry, so uh, I heard you earlier talking about the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's no reason. Uh, we're in uh, We're in May. We're in May. So I think we're no reason to panic at all. We're playing over 500 baseball. We're playing all right. We're playing good. I am actually one of the few believers that Brian Cashman is going to make a few tweaks or two on the trade deadline. And then later, we're going to be thanking him later. Oh, my God, the cashman came back. Oh, my God, he got this guy. He got this guy. And he did it again. And, of course, we're going to get Rondon back. We're going to get all these couple players back. I think the Yankees are in a good position. We learned our lesson last year. All right. Well, we're going to be the greatest team in history in, in the regular season. And what happened? We got kicked out, man, as soon as possible in the playoffs. You know what? Let's just be healthy. Come October. Then we'll talk. Thank you so much, Larry. Have a good one, brother. All right, Jonathan, thanks for checking in. Uh, I hear what you're saying, but let's be fair. Yankee fans do not are not satisfied with a Yankee team that is playing okay. With a Yankee team that, and listen, this is no disrespect to this player, okay? I am by no means, because I couldn't hit a baseball. So I am by no means insulting Willie Calhoun. But Willie Calhoun is your DH today. I mean, come on, Jonathan. Willie Calhoun, and I don't understand what Aaron Judge sitting on the bench after the night he had last night, but you know, I, hey, listen, what do I know? And yes, they have played better. When I left, they were, when I went on vacation, they were near the bottom in the AL East. Right now, they are sitting three games behind Baltimore. How about, the, how about, Orioles this year, huh? Wow. Uh, they kind of gave you a hint last year too, right? Uh, you know, and once again, behind Aaron Judge, AL Player of the Week last week, I mean, you know, the Yankees are playing much better. No question. They are playing better. But Jonathan, this is not, this, this is not, this is, this is not the team you're signing up for. Okay? I mean, it's not. So yeah, he's, as you mentioned, he's always going to, he always makes adjustments at the trade deadline. You give him credit, he does. But my thought process is, okay, when you looked at how this team ended last season, why would you not be honest? And I always have this conversation with you folks. I always talk about it, right? About being honest. Front offices have to be honest. Okay, it looks like, and once again, I'm on the outside. I don't know. But I'm just going by what's on the field. It looked like the Yankees said, hey, you know what? We were good enough. We were closer to the first half of last season than we were to the struggles of the second half of last season. And even still, we got to the postseason and lost against the Houston Astros. Bader goes deep. We're tied at one. 
Okay. But I'm sorry, it's two one. But I mean, come on. You knew that your team wasn't that good in the second half. You're closer to the team you were in the second half of the season who found a way to get to the postseason. And then and then you were embarrassed by Houston. So the fact that you came in with arguably the same team is inexcusable. You needed to have made some adjustments before then, at least one or two. And yeah, I get it. You got Aaron Judge, and that was the major, that was the number one signing you had to make. You had to get Aaron Judge back, and you did. Missing the conference. And yes, you signed the free agent pitcher, but you signed the free agent pitcher that you knew could possibly be hurt. And he has yet to pitch for you this season. And last time I checked, with the back issue, they're still not sure when he's coming back. And yeah, you've had some other injuries. So look, injuries are always going to be a part of the game. We get that. You can't, you know, you, you can't schedule it. You can't figure it out. You can try to be deep where you can, you know, try to adjust to it. So when it comes, you've got some better players that can take, you know, can try to keep you close until your guys get healthy again. But this is not really a Yankee team. I mean, this is this is not the Yankee teams that you've expected, you've seen years ago. It's not even close. And once again, I get that you got deep into the postseason last year, but you were embarrassed by Houston. So at least you looked and you said, you know what, we're, we're certainly not as good as Houston. How can we get closer to Houston? And you didn't do anything to do that. Nothing. That's the issue I have with the Yankees. When we return... We'll be joined by Pat Ragazzo. We'll talk a little baseball, Mets and Yankee style. Next on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. This is for both the Mets and Yankee fans from Hezekiah Walker. It's got to get better. And it's starting to get better, right? Both teams putting some wins together. That's a good sign. That's a good sign. So once again, it is May. We haven't reached... You know, the end of the month, we haven't reached Memorial Day yet. And so there's a lot of baseball. There's a lot of baseball left. It's just that for two teams, and we're trying to line up with Pat Regazzo. We'll catch up with him in a moment. With two teams, once again, a Met team that, much like the Jets, has World Series aspirations, okay? And the Yankee team that you would expect them to have been, try to be a thousand times better than they were last season, you have to admit that, they both have not gotten off to the starts that you would like, but they are playing better. Let's go to the phones now. Welcome in. Good friend of the show. Does a tremendous job covering baseball, especially the Mets with Sports Illustrated. He is Pat Ragazzo. Pat, Larry Harnesty, thanks for joining me, my friend. How are you? I'm great, Larry. How are you? Thanks so much for having me on. I'm doing great. All right, Pat, give me the skinny on both the Mets and Yankees right now. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you hit it on the head before, before you had me in here. Uh, they're both teams that uh, really have been underperforming this year, uh, haven't gotten off the good starts out of the gate, but both playing well as of recently, maybe getting a little healthier. Um, the Jets, of course, I mean, the Yankees, I should say, of course, got Aaron Judge back, and they got Luis Severino back today. And, uh, you know, they've been playing better as of late to three or four in Toronto. Um, and the Mets have their kids, the youth. Talk about the youth they called up. Francisco Alvarez, Brett Beatty, and now Mark Vientos. And those three 
who now are being called the baby Mets, are helping uh, are helping make an impact in uh, this little stretch that the Mets have gone on here. Of course, taking two or three from the Tampa Bay Rays, who are the best team in baseball, and then you know the dramatic comeback win on Friday night against the Cleveland Guardians. And then, of course, they're going to go for the doubleheader today with Scherzer and Verlander on the mound in both teams, which is, you know, when the Mets built this team, they built a team centered around Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. So um, they need those guys to pitch like the aces that they are. I know uh, Verlander got roughed up in his last start against the Rays, but Scherzer had a very promising outing against the Nationals in his, in his first start back from um, from neck spasms. So, uh, so yeah, this is uh, Mets are 500 and Yankees are you know Yankees are doing well now as well and uh, you know both teams there's still a lot, long way to go for each for uh, you know for both teams a lot, a lot of games left to be played in the season and uh, I think they're both in fine spots despite you know struggling at certain points so far. Pat, what has been the change in Francisco Alvarez? Because when he first came up last year, obviously you put him in a tough spot, the big series against Atlanta. Early this year, he seemed to have struggled. Over the past week or so, he looks like a different player. If you can, as you've watched him, what seems to be the difference with him? For him, I think it's just pitch selection and pitch recognition. And, and you know, he's, he's showing that he can be patient now. He was looked very anxious up at the plate, uh, you know, in the end of last year when he first got called up and in the beginning of this year when he got called up. Um, you know, he's, he's, not, he's not chasing as much. Uh, you know, he's driving the ball. Um, and, and he's, he's proven to be pretty clutch so far. He's gotten some pretty clutch hits for the Mets in big spots. So, um, yeah, I think that is just more of a comfort thing and, and a pitch recognition thing for, for Alvarez. And he's not bad behind the plate, Pat. You know, we were told that he wasn't great. He's not bad. No, he's, he's done pretty well with pitch framing. Um, he's called a pretty good game for the Mets, uh, for the Mets pitchers, and, uh, and he's shown that he is a cannon for an arm behind the plate. All right, ultimately, we understand that it looks like it's so funny with this team. If And obviously, with all due respect to Francisco Lindor, but it's like if Pete, if Pete Rose, if Pete Alonso doesn't hit home runs, this team doesn't win. Eventually, Pat, and I know we had this conversation last season, eventually, are they going to have to get another bat, a home run bat in this lineup? Well, yeah, I think if, if, uh, if the kids don't, wind up providing the power or, or Gary Sanchez who just got called up and is starting today in game one doesn't provide the power and, and compliment to Alonzo. Yeah. But Pete Alonzo can't be the only power hitter in this Mets lineup. And uh, when he's hitting home runs, it shows what impact that his power bat has on the team. And they do win a lot of games when he gets home runs. Um, so, yeah. So if, if one of these kids doesn't emerge as, as a complimentary power bat, which, you know, which is what they, I think they expect, uh, you know, Alvarez and Vientos to be, except maybe not yet. Um, yeah, I think that they're probably going to have to go out and trade for one. Pat Ragazzo is my guest. You're listening to the Larry Hardesty Show here on 98.7 ESPN. Pat, I, Francisco Lindor has had a – he's had an up-and-down season, right? And I think when you look at this year and last year, although last year had a very good season, there's been moments where he has been such a streaky hitter with the Mets. There's, pace, there's times when he is just on fire, can ultimately almost carry this team. And then there are times when he just disappears – it, obviously the Mets were hoping for a more consistent Lindor. Uh, what are you seeing from him? Yeah, uh, you know, he's he's not hitting for average right now. Um, you know, but he did have the very clutch walk-off single the other night. Um, he's still driving in runs. He's among the RBI leaders, among the war leaders. Uh, you know, one of the best shortstops in the league defensively. 
Um, you know, he's making impacts in other ways, but, but yeah, he does need to, to heat up a little bit. I think, uh, you know, he hasn't found his footing yet offensively, at least from an average standpoint so far this season. Um, and like you said, he is a guy who he, he can kind of carry the lineup. When, when Lindor and Alonzo are hitting from in those three and four spots, uh, those two can kind of carry the lineup, and it, and it kind of is uh, infectious, you know, throughout the lineup and the offense. And, um, yeah, they, they do need Lindor to kind of, you know, pick things up here. But, but again, he is, he is still making an impact in other ways. Pat, before we, we uh, turn our attention to the Yankees, we talk about the Mets, and you mentioned it earlier. This, they spent the money on Scherzer and Verlander to get this team to the World Series. And they are, you know, rounding themselves into shape. The rest of the starting pitching has been troublesome because of injuries. Do you see them having to make another move? Uh, Carrasco's been injured when he pitches. He hasn't been great. Uh, and then the bullpen's been, you know, they've been okay, but they've been used a lot. Are the Mets going to have to do some pitch shopping at the deadline as well? Most likely. They, they most likely will. Um, but but don't, don't forget, um, they're supposed to be getting Jose Quintana back probably around July. Uh, he just got cleared to, to start uh, throwing off the mound. So that, that was a, a, a promising sign for them. Um, you know, of course he had the rib surgery in March and now he, uh, you know, he just got cleared to throw. So they're hoping he's going to be able to be back in July and we'll see what kind of impact that he can make if he could rejoin the rotation and pitch like the pitcher who, you know, the performance that he had last year, 2.93 ERA with the sort of pirates and the St. Louis Cardinals. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think that could be an acquisition in its own. But besides that, yeah, they probably are going to have to go, uh, you know, pitch shopping, whether it's for a starter or for a reliever and or maybe both of them. All right. In a few minutes we have left, uh, Pat, let's talk a little bit about the Yankees. Obviously, no surprise they had to make a move on Aaron Hicks uh, because he just has not performed. What What are the Yankees going to do? They, they're, they're playing well, but as you well know, when you look at this Yankee team, this is not a team as its way it's, you know, currently put together that you can see them going deep into the postseason they're going to have to make some changes where do you see the positions that they have to really find uh fine-tune to get to the next level yeah so that's tough i mean they dfa'd aaron hicks who was having a really good week he was batting 353 with an over and a thousand ops uh he was having one of his best weeks in a, in a long time with the yankees but the writing was on the wall he you know he he just struggled a little since ever since signing that extension prior to the 2019 season, he just struggled and he hadn't been able to stay on the field. And, um, you know, the Yankees, even though there's, you know, three years, $30 million left on his contract, they, Hal Steinbrenner and the Yankees just said, we're going to eat it. We, you know, he's, there's not a spot for him on this team anymore. We're going to, we're going to get rid of him. So, um, obviously first off and foremost, left field is a position where the Yankees, you know, could stand to upgrade. Um, it just depends on who's going to be available at the deadline, what kind of left fielder you're going to be able to get. Um, but th- that is an area of upgrade, obviously. Um, you know, in the infield, they have that log jam. Uh, once Josh Donaldson comes back, you know, they, they, Donaldson, you know, hasn't played since April 5th. So, uh, you know, you have LeMahieu playing third. Isaiah, Isaiah Conner-Falefo can play third. Um you know, Anthony Volpe has done a pretty good job as of late in shortstop, you know, the rookie shortstop. Mm-hmm. Um, Glaber Torres, you know, has had a, a solid start so far this year. Um, so, yeah, so I think I think the major areas of, you know, of upgrade really are, are left field. And it's kind of the same as in the offseason, left field and bullpen because they, they've had some injuries out in the bullpen. 
And, uh, you know, they could also stay and they'll be looking for a starting pitcher as well. Um, Carlos Rodon was signed to be their number two starter behind Garrett Cole, and he hasn't pitched a single – he hasn't thrown a pitch for the Yankees this season. So, yeah, they could probably stand to, to acquire a starter as well as another area of, the, of you know, of upgrade. Pat, last question. I got about 30 seconds. Is Tampa Bay really this good? <laughs> <laughs> um, they look this good so far. I mean, they hit home runs. They score a ton of runs, over six runs per game. Um, their pitching is very sound. Um, they've had some injuries, though, as well. Drew Rousman, uh, after pitching a really great game against the Yankees, one going on the 60-day injury list with a flexor strain. Um, but I do think Tampa Bay is, is this good. I think this is a classic Rays team that we've seen in the last couple of years, but kind of just, uh, you know, you don't know how they're doing it, but, but the, the guys behind the scenes know what they're doing and uh, they put together a really good team on the field and, and the scene's performing. Pat, thanks for a couple of minutes as always, my friend. We'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks so much. Pat Ragazzo from Sports Illustrated. We'll come back and talk next on 98.7 ESPN.